Hi there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to Living the Sky Life podcast. I hope that the content of each episode brings you hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways. The Special Needs Parenting Village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. Please connect with me through my Living the Sky Life Facebook page or Instagram account. And let's keep this conversation going after each episode airs. Thanks again for tuning in for season two of Living the Sky Life. Today's guest on the podcast has become a friend of mine and is a wonderful resource. We met through another um, social media site of support. A lot of parents are on there. And I was thrilled when we connected because she has an 18-year-old daughter, so who is also using typing and spelling um, to communicate. So I had a million questions for her, if you can imagine, with our kids being close in age and us undergoing the the spelling program um, for my son, Skylar. So my guest today is Linda Pollock-Orleans. She is a consultant, writer, and speaker who holds a master's degree in social work from the University of Southern California. Linda worked professionally as a school social worker and currently does consultations with schools and community organizations, assisting in programs designed to help her daughter and others with special needs bond with their neurotypical peers. Linda's articles and interviews have been featured in magazines and sites such as Autism Parenting Magazine, Finding Cooper's Voice, Bethesda Magazine, Jewish Weekly, and Friendship Circle of Maryland. Linda lives in Bethesda with her husband and beautiful 18-year-old daughter, Danielle, who has autism and Crohn's disease. Linda continues her passion of advocating for her daughter and others with disabilities through consulting, writing publications, and speaking engagements. So I present to you and hope you enjoy my conversation with Linda. So my guest today on the podcast is Linda Orleans. I had the pleasure of being introduced to Linda um, on one of the um, Finding Cooper's Voice groups, one of the Coop's Troops um, groups for parents of children that are young adults at this point and older teenagers. And we had so much in common to talk about and yeah. became fast friends. So Linda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be talking to you. Absolutely. I have had the pleasure of seeing pictures and hearing all about your beautiful daughter, Danielle. So I, I kind of want to start Thank there. You. I just want to know a little bit about her childhood and, um, you know, how you kind of initially recognized that there might be some delays or some issues with her development. Um, and then, you know, ultimately how she received the autism diagnosis. Okay, sure. Um, so the first month, things went along pretty typically. And then um, at about 14 months, 13, 14 months, um, uh, I, well, the language was obvious. And a big thing was she stopped responding to her name. Um, and when we asked the pediatrician, um, he did not see it. Um, he thought, because she was making eye contact and she seemed engaged. He just thought she'd be, she was a late talker, um, which I hear is pretty common with, with other parents, especially those that have our age kids that did this several years ago. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Danielle, so she, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Is she, she's eight, 
15 now? Is that what? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So 15, 16 years ago, um, when you know, anything subtle, they did not pick up on. So yeah. Um, so I had an idea, but then I was kind of laid by my beard were laid by the pediatrician. Um, we had her hearing checked and um, she did not pass her hearing test. So I was, I was actually happy because I was thought, oh, okay, it's the hearing, which I've also heard from other parents mm -hmm. since then. Um, and, but there were just, then as things progressed, um, we were getting let her um, to a specialist. And even the specialist, the first time we went, even at 17 months when we took her to a specialist, um, the specialist initially, okay, so at 17 months, even the specialist uh, did not think it was autism and thought it was a language delay. Um, I just had, I had my gut feeling and at 19, 19, 20 months, we took her back and then they, that, then they did see um, that there was something. Um, even then it was, well, PDD, not autism. And then um, again, there, because there wasn't, and there weren't those stereotypical behaviors at that point. Um, uh -huh. And then at around two and a half, um, a little bit past two and a half is when, um, I knew, I knew, but it took them until about three to actually give us that diagnosis. Um, so yeah, so at three was when we got the diagnosis, um, but that two and a half to three is figuring everything out. And then is, is when, when we knew, but um, even at that point at three, um, she, she did, she still at that point, we didn't have the stereotypical behaviors and she had some language. She could answer concrete questions, um, not abstract conversations. And she wasn't coming to us, asking us um, to engage with her or coming to us and initiating any kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. um, so we were not getting any of that. We were not able to get the back and forth. But what we did get was memorized phrases like ABA memorized phrases of um, I want you um, thirsty words or phrases to get what she wanted um, and concrete things um, such as labeling things that she would see but anything abstract we couldn't get and we couldn't get that initiation just to engage um, the only time for we, the only time she talked to us for our basic wants and needs, really. Um, so, so that was the case when she was um, three, and she went. She actually went to at at that point. She loved being around other kids. She actually went to a mainstream preschool. She did have an aide, mm -hmm. um, and the language was hard, but um, she was at that point, fitting in with the kids aside from that. Um, if, you, if you weren't having a conversation with her at that point, you wouldn't have known that she had autism. If you tried to have a conversation with you is when you would have seen it. Um, she did have an aide though to help with the 
um, engagement and with the language. And then in the afternoon, she went to a non-categorical special ed class. It, it, um, it wasn't an autism specific class, but it was a special ed class. So she, um, so, so that, oh, sorry. Um, so she didn't have any significant motor delay or any of that. I think you and I had talked about that prior, how Skylar struggles because even doing pecs or anything to help with his communication all these years has been a challenge because he's, he's so motor delayed that pointing his finger or making selections of things or any of that stuff is really hard for him. That takes almost all of his energy to do those things. So she didn't have any delays from a motor standpoint or significant ones? Not significant. Um, I mean, it, in, in looking back, she did have OT um, probably starting at about three. And that was more because we were told that's what you do. But um, so she had a few motor delays. I mean, it, it wasn't as easy as a neurotypical person um, doing, or person her age um, doing with motor skills. However, it, was, it wasn't significant. I mean, she could still, her walking was on track. Um, she was able to point. Um, where you would notice it is things like um, writing. And, um, but even, you know, she was okay with coloring and yeah, so her, her motor skills um, were not the significant. They were definitely an issue, but not, not, not the major. Um, you know, now I've learned that it comes out in other ways that aren't obvious, um, which we can get to um, when we get into the, to the typing, but it, it was different from what I read with Skylar. Yeah, for sure. And well, I mean, so let's, let's move into that. So obviously her communication has evolved over the years since she was not nonverbal. Um, I know there were still, still some challenges with her communication and, you know, what sort of things did you guys do um, over time to get to where you are today, where she is quite an avid typer. And I want to hear all about that. Cause I just, I love that. I think it's so remarkable when you figure out what what's so great for your kid and you tap into it and they thrive from it. So what was her Yeah, question? thank you. Um, well, yeah, um, so she had speech therapy and, you know, we were talking about the OT, but speech therapy to get her talking. We had pictures for everything. Mm -hmm. um, whenever we would go somewhere, I would show her the picture and, um, so she would um, equate it with the words. And we're going to the car and I'd show a picture of the car. Although that was more like when she was two, two, two and a half. Um, so we did that. And initially we used a form of PECS um, where with a sentence strip where it would be the I want and then she'd pick out what it was that she wanted uh, from an array of pictures. So I know now um, they've developed technology a lot with that and everybody um, has the talkers or Dynavoxes, things like that uh -huh. now. But at that time, it, was, it wasn't technology. So it was by pictures. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, what made it a little bit easier with her in some ways is 
she was able to, by that time, she was able to repeat what you said. So she could hand it to us and then also say juice. Um, or can hand it to us and, and say, I want juice. Um, so that made it a little easier. But again, it was concrete. It was things that she had a visual for and that she had a picture for. Um, after several times of using those phrases, um, then she'd be able to say them without the pictures. Um, but where it was more really obvious with her communication differences from her peers or um, that we couldn't get anything abstract. We couldn't um, have back and forth conversations and she wasn't initiating talking to us the way we would see other kids, two, year, two, two and a half year olds um, getting their parents' attention with language. Mm -hmm. So, so, so those were our main things with language, but I, um, I do think that the pictures and things helped in the beginning. Um, and then um, it kind of, it was stagnant like that for a long time. Um, you know, I will say, I talked about the early years when she blended in, well, in kindergarten, that stops um, the, blend, the blending in and, and um, um, loving to be around people. So in kindergarten, um, and I say this because, as you know, when they're regulated, it's hard to practice any other sort of skills when, when they're dysregulated and um, the behaviors are, are off. Mm -hmm. So, um, when, so um, when she was six, um, she started in the mainstream preschool with a shadow and there she would start to get a little bit agitated and she'd tug at her own hair or whoever's hair was next to her. Um, it wasn't hard at that time and the, the kids knew that she had autism, um, but it was something we worried about, especially down the line. And then the, the second semester of kindergarten, we moved her to a special ed school that was more behavioral, thinking that we would nip it. But um, actually things spiraled at that point. Um, the um, making behavior plans and calling attention to it, and for her, it, it ended up making things worse and more stressful. Um, getting timeouts and things like that at the other school, um, it wasn't the best match for her. So that's when the small tugs started to get harder and harder and then the pulling got really bad. Um, and then it, it got to a point where um, anytime she was sitting next to somebody for, there'd be no trigger. It would be hair pulling. So we had to take her out. It's, it's so weird how that seems to be a, um, a vice of a lot of our kids is hair. I, I used to think it was a texture thing that Skylar maybe just enjoyed the feeling of the hair because he would file a piece of hair across his lips, like back and forth, almost like flossing his teeth, but it was just his lips. He never ate it or any, he didn't have an, like, you know, a, a weird like yeah. thing where he needed to um, like pica, like to eat the hair or whatever. Um, but he is just, he, even now, occasionally he'll tug on my hair if I bend over to tie his shoe or something, if I don't have a hat on or whatever. It's so odd. 
Yeah, it is. It is. And it was, um, it was, uh, I mean, you, you would see it was so tempting anytime she saw hair, but it was, it was weird how it just kept getting worse and worse. Um, so yeah, that, that put us on a different level. Yeah. So we went from, Oh, she can be mainstreamed and fit into, Oh, she can't even go to a special ed school because this is just too much. Um, uh, and then we did find out during that time, um, well, a couple months later, um, when she got so sick that we had to take her to the emergency room, that's when Crohn's was diagnosed. So before that, um, we would take her and they would say she was constipated and um, that, that was it, we'd treat constipation. But then it just got so bad that they had to they had to actually give her an exam and, and look at her behind. It's, it's amazing how with our kids, and I read this um, partly in your book too, um, they um, don't always do as thorough of an exam oh, yeah. initially. Um, so yeah, so at that point they had to, that's when the Crohn's was diagnosed. And then when they actually went and looked, um, they said there was so much bruising and it was, it was so bad. They didn't know how she was walking around. And then, you know, as a mom, it's like, as a dad, it's like, she, she never, she couldn't tell us this. She was screaming and pulling things and every, everybody was saying, oh, it's behavioral. Oh, it's autism. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, so that was, um, that was, that was when the Crohn's got um, diagnosed. And how old and, was you know, how old was her, she at that diagnosis? Just about eight. Oh wow. Okay, I thought she was older than that. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, did yeah, her so, once once she was um, put on treatment, and you know, you guys actually could put a label on her belly issues and being di diagnosed with Crohn's. You know, while you hate to hear that, it at least gives you some sort of relief. Like you're not crazy. You know that she wasn't just a brat and just acting out just to do it. She was in a lot of pain. Clearly, um, did it? Did her behaviors like cease a little bit? I know they never will just completely go away, or they may never. But um, after some treatment, did she I, start to get better with that? Um, well. Well, I can tell you if we're fast forward, if, if, if we first fast forward to now, I can tell you that they've got, they've gotten so much better, mm -hmm. so much better. But if we're going back then, no, not immediately. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, um, I, so we had a couple things against us. You know, we had um, she, that she, um, she had a very stressful experience um, at her, at her previous school, mm -hmm. um, and, and it had been treated behaviorally. And, um, so she was, she would, she could also script, which we, we might want to talk about what scripting is, but so she would, she would come home and she would pull her doll's hair and then she would say, um, go get a timeout. So, Aww. so, so we had it both. So we had, we had that medical and then we had, um, it got even more um, into an OCD type loop of replaying that and scripting it. So, um, so it, it wasn't initially. Um, and then 
we also had to do some traumatic treatments for her. In the beginning, we had to do Remicade, um, where they put intravenous, they put needles in you, and it's an intravenous given medication, the infusions, and you have to sit there for an hour and a half. Ours would always be longer because she wanted the needles out and she was, uh, blood, blood, blood vessels would pop and it was a nightmare. I really related to parts of, of your story with that too. So, um, so, so there was now this psychological medical trauma. Um, and then, you, you know, it's hard to weave it all in. You, what is the actual pain? What is the psychological medical trauma? Um, what's causing what? But um, I, 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 I do know that the pain definitely initially was causing the hair pulling and those kinds of things. And then how it evolved. Um, I'll never know 100%. But um, yeah, so, so then the Remicade, she got under control. Um, but it was a traumatic experience doing it. After a few months, we um, convinced them to put her under anesthesia when she got the Remicade treatments. Um, so that helped the, the psychological factor of that a lot. And um, once that was under control, then she started to get a, a little bit better. Um, uh, if she was able to be around people again, she was able to be around people that she knew and um, not pull hair, but we still couldn't go to crowded places um, or where there was um, a lot of commotion going on. Well, I know you've told me in the past that um, although she can communicate, you know, and, and is now into typing quite a, a bit. So I, I want to talk about that a little bit, but that she still has difficulty with feelings and emotions. I think I asked you once if she is able to type out and tell you about some of the things like pulling hair and why, you know, what triggered her to do that or what need that met to, to grab a hold of her doll or her own hair or whoever's it was. Um, and, and you said she just doesn't really know how to explain feelings and emotions, which is not uncommon for our kids. Um, you know, they don't really necessarily relate to the way that we explain sadness and hunger and all of our feelings. They can't really put words to that. So has she shed any light on those things? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's actually shed a lot of light on that. That's good. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's... I, covering a lot of uh, of years here, you know, we had the early years that were not bad, and then we had our our from seven to fourteen up and down with the Crohn's and everything else, and then um, from fourteen to eighteen, um, it's gotten continuously better. Um, I. Um, I, you know, and, and, and like you, um, or like, uh, like all parents, when you're doing a lot of things, you don't know a hundred percent what it was. I mean, I know uh -huh. the typing and the communication for sure. Um, and then as far as why the behaviors have gotten so much better, why we have not seen hair pulling in, um, two and a half years, um, or, or seen that, um, it's hard to know if it's, um, 
maturity or you know the way the way her body's maturing or chemically okay. or if it's um cbd oil or, or you, you, there's a lot of different things but um so yeah so for the last four years um we've been on an upward swing um so now i have gotten a lot of information from her about that um when we started typing it, it took about a year to get to a point of more uh more of that um abstract conversation maybe two years to really get um really get a lot of um her she could describe a lot just a lot of things um and now um you sometimes she can tell us a ton about things. Um, sometimes she can tell she she tells us she doesn't know, and other times she um, isn't um, isn't doesn't want to type a lot. But you know that's 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 like any um, that's like any person who um, doesn't want to do their homework sometimes <laughs> or like that. How did she get, how did you guys get to typing? Was there something before typing and how were you introduced to that? Um, so um, be before typing, it was more of um, PEX types of things. And then as far as typing, um, before we got into typing to communicate, um, she, she would only type to, um, go on YouTube or find her her favorite um, clips um, and, or for games on the computer. So she could type to find those, but not typing to communicate. Or she could, she could type memorize scripts, but not typing to communicate. So we had the typing that was, um, could be random typing. And then we had um, the talking that was really concrete. Um, so it, when so we when we when we were told about typing to communicate and um, our our initial thinking was well she knows how to talk so wouldn't she just be telling us what she's feeling and then for typing it was like well she knows how to type so if she knows how to type and she could communicate typing wouldn't she just do that so we we had both and. <clears throat> What they had told us, and this is back where your motor thing, where your motor question comes in, um, where it wouldn't be as obvious um, if, if you're not um, looking at it from a communication standpoint. But um, her motor planning made it, it makes it difficult for her to use the part of her brain that thinks and feels with her talking voice at the same time, and. Her motor planning also um, makes it hard to stop herself on her own at at at, at a keyboard um, and slow down and think about things. So she really needed coaching to bring the typing and spelling and the um, her 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 more um, her her more complicated. Um, language to, to bring those together. Gotcha. So um, I think you told me too that you, do you know Amy Allnut that I had on? 
Are you guys in the same circle? Yeah. Um, so is the, is the typing program similar to what her yeah. son does? Okay. Gotcha. I just, I'm yeah. fascinated. I am so fascinated by the spelling to communicate that we're doing with Skylar and then the typing and just this whole thing is a whole new world to me. And I am, I'm just mesmerized by it because I, I want oh, yes. so yeah, much. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and when you're asking about the sex of this, um, the way it started was, um, with a laminated board, like I've seen, um, you have, well, actually with a stencil and then a laminated board. And in the beginning, it was to slow down her spelling and, and thinking at the same time. And she, um, so she would use it to answer things that she could already say with her voice, um, things that she already knew, um, like colors and, and labeling and things like that. But she would do it on the keyboard that got, or, or on the um, letter board. And that got her more comfortable with it. And then as she got more comfortable with it, um, her communication partners and her teachers started um, scaling back on the amount of, 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 of prompting and helping and um, for harder questions. And then she started to, to be able to answer questions on her board, things that she, we would have never heard from her verbally. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And, 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 and the biggest thing was when she initiated and typed out, mom, I want to talk to you. That was, that, that, that was the light. That was the biggest thing. And then that's when it expanded from there to the point where, we could get to having real conversations. I cannot imagine that you wouldn't, that anyone wouldn't look at their child a little bit differently. Like I, I just, again, try to put myself in all of your shoes whose kids um, communicate in some form or fashion. And to hear Skylar say, type, spell, whatever it is, even the word mom, or I wanna talk to you or whatever, like I've said on, you know, many episodes before, until we started spelling, I just assumed that his mental abilities, his cognition matched his behaviors and his, you know, just his mannerisms of like a five-year-old. So I just assumed yeah. that his cognitive matched that. And until he started spelling and is just remarkable with what he knows I, I look at him differently even now when I'm talking to him. The oh, yeah. words I choose and the things that I say are different than I did a month or two ago. So if he's able to further that and type and all the things that Danielle's doing, I, I can't imagine that your relationship with her is the same as it was, you know, even six months oh, ago. Absolutely. No, it's, yeah. I mean, it's definitely not. It has changed dramatically um, because her speaking was on a concrete level. So I thought her thinking was on a concrete level. Um, and so I wouldn't even try and have regular conversations with her. But now I assume she's understanding everything I say. And she has, you know, she has spelled that to us before. I'm always listening. I, I understood everything. Yeah. Yeah. Now she can. Yeah. Um, and that also, it, it also, not only does it make me um, talk to Danielle differently, but it makes me talk to all the other kids 
um, that are nonverbal, minimally verbal, um, basically that have autism. Now I, I, I assume that they're understanding um, because, I, because, because of that dramatic, what we saw with Danielle and then I've seen it with so many other kids. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with Danielle, now I, I talk to her regularly and um, it, it has changed our relationship. And I think it's made her feel better um, and feel more like we do have yeah. um, a more typical relationship. Well, yeah, and it's, I would, it's not, it's, I would think they feel more respected too by you guys, you know, just to know that. And I've always believed this, whether it was true or not. And now, you know, hearing from Danielle and other, other kids too, who've said it with their own hands or, or mouths that um, they understand and they hear everything that we're saying. I've never been a proponent of having a conversation about Skylar, unless it's medications and stuff in the room with him, with the doctors or whatever. But I've never talked about him. I've tried really, really hard that if even, even a family is visiting or somebody asks a question like, well, how, how is Skylar doing with this? And I'm like, he's right there. Why don't you ask him? Because yeah. <laughs> I, I don't ever want him to think yeah. we're belittling him and talking about him, you know, even if it's negative or positive when he's standing right there, because it's, I mean, it's rude to do that to anyone, let alone your children yeah. on the spectrum. So it just confirms yeah. for me that they do understand. So, you know, I'm yeah. very cautious of that. Yeah, yeah, and I think I always was too, um, just because she, even if at the time um, I didn't know that she understood everything we said, I knew she understood her name, yeah. so I was always cautious about the same thing, talking about her in front of her, um, but it does, um, it does change our relationship and the way we interact. Um, having that turnaround. It's funny now we notice like um, if we're talking about um, like we took him to get his flu shot, get a well check in his flu shot the other day and we were driving there and I start, we started to say something to my husband about, um, you know, getting his flu shot or whatever. And then I immediately remember, you know, he's in the back seat and I'm like, Skylar, we're just going to go. And he's just going to look you over. It's not that big a deal. Instead of normally I would have just said, well, let's go get this flu shot. And then we'll take him to get dinner. Like, you know, in the third person or whatever, Oh, I love that. <laughs> you know, yeah. yes. I'm just catching myself all the time about that. Yes. And that's, that, that's exactly, um, it started changing like that for, for me too. Um, but I love that. I love hearing that. And I know that was, um, a big change for us, Yeah, but a change for the better. It's nice to give yeah. them a play by play, you know, like you would anyone else, like, listen, this is what we're going to do. This is, I mean, it, they kind of need social stories all the time anyway, just to know exactly what they're walking into in case they aren't sure what a situation is going to be. So I just, yeah. you know, just remembering to, to do that, but to not, talk to him in a way that he's five just to be very matter of fact in adult language <laughs> you know this is what we're doing <laughs> I don't want to dumb right. it down I guess um well you know just kind of talking about relationships in general I, I didn't know if you um I know that you and your husband have been married what 20 years yeah 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 <laughs> and, and Danielle's your only child um 
you know, autism is very stressful on a family as any special needs children and all that comes with it can cause a lot of stress in a family. You guys, I mean, of, of course, I only know the, uh, the social media side and the, you know, the living on the outskirts side, but um, you guys just seem like you're totally unified with everything with Danielle and, you know, all of that. How have you guys managed that for 20 years or 18 years, I guess, with Danielle? Um, were there bumps in the road? Did you guys immediately when she got diagnosed come to a, a conclusion and decision together as a, as a parenting unit that you would you know, raise her a certain way and handle all the therapies and all that comes along a certain way? Um, or um, yeah, um, I, I, um, I think we were on the same page as far as um, Ashley was getting diagnosed and, and we're going to do whatever we can, anything we can for her. And um, he, he was a very involved dad. So the fact that we were on the same page that of we were gonna we were gonna do everything that we could and yeah you know a million things come along that people will tell you about and that we would discuss we would discuss each one and make a decision together so that that was a big help that we didn't have any um, differing ideas there um, and the fact that he. Um, was really involved. Um, so, so that part made things easier. Um, I think the part that gets really challenging is when you're living on high stress and no, and no sleep. Um, and especially when we realized that we realized that it wasn't in, in Danielle's control and we had to be calm and, um, and not get angry with her and um uh so there's that kind of stress on keeping it together for danielle after a hair pull and then we snap at each other mm -hmm. um i think that's where i see like oh we never used to snap at each other like what's going on i think that's where where i saw um it um um getting harder i mean but Again, I know I'm all, all couples can do that, but I would say um, taking it out on each other um, because we were the only ones there was sometimes an issue. Mm -hmm. um, but um, then what kept us back together, I mean, not back together, we never split. But yeah, what kept I, us, I know what you mean. <laughs> what kept us, um, you know, after, after having a, a, a a, a rough patch with the snapping at each other is um, recognizing it and talking about it and have both having the um, capacity and desire to apologize when we realize it. Yeah. So when, so yeah, so because, because we are a team, um, there are a lot of bumps in the road that have come, especially from living in this type of pressure. Um, but because of um, us being a team, we're able to get through that, those rough patches and 
keep it together. Yeah, I mean, I think it's so important to acknowledge those things, um, that there are going to be days that you're going to be tired and snap at each other, but that it doesn't mean anything. It's just, you're just tired. But if you're both big enough to go, listen, I'm sorry. Like I was snap, I snapped at you. I was tired. I, you know, I'm overwhelmed. You know, I, I didn't mean anything by that. And I, I truly apologize and doing it early into <laughs> your child's life because, you know, for families like ours, our kids aren't probably going anywhere. Like they're going to be with us forever. So, you know, our retirement's going to look different. Our, all of our later years are going to look different. So we, we need to kind of handle those emotions now, because if we can't get a hold of it, I don't know that our marriage could last the long haul. You know, it's only going to maybe get worse, maybe get easier. I don't know what Skylar as a 40 year old man will be like. (laughs) I can only imagine. Yeah. (laughs) So, right. I'd hate to go it alone. Yeah. I just, I don't want to lose my partner, oh, yeah. you know? Oh yeah, you're right. I feel the same way. I can't, I can't imagine alone, but, and I loved your story when I was um, reading about, about you guys, you know, just how you two work together and you, um, you tag team and you work as a partner from the team and team. It just is from the book I found incredible oh thanks I, I mean we laugh a lot we have to we both have a really yeah, sarcastic sick sense of sick sense of humor anyway so <laughs> i think you know that's, even uh you know poopy pull-ups are funny to us i mean we just kind of you know rock paper scissors whose turn it is because why not you know, <laughs> <I don't> know. <laughs> <laughs> right exactly and we have to keep the humor as well well do you, know. do you have time to um, you know, make time for yourself and your passions. I mean, you were a, you know, a person and still are before you had a child on the spectrum and you had dreams and goals of your own. Um, you know, are you, do you work outside of the home or inside of the home or do you do other things yeah. that you're passionate about and take time for yourself? Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's interesting because, um, before I had Danielle, um, I I got my master's in social work. I, I got my undergrad and, and graduating in Los Angeles. And um, I had my um, master's in social work because that was my passion, uh-huh. was um, helping people in, and working with communities and um, disenfranchised, but also all populations. And then I went to, into a secondary education. So that really was my passion before I, I had Danielle. And um, I had worked in the school system for several years before I had Danielle as a school social worker. Um, so so that's, that's the interesting thing is that my passion was um, education and this helping people and, and our growth. Um, and then I got the up close and personal, obviously with, with Danielle. Um, so it's, it is still my passion and, and now it's my passion on more of, um, the special needs community in particular. Um, but, uh, it, it, 
it it did end up in the same path that I was going, um, and not by not by choice. But um, so in that part, I feel like I'm doing what I like to do. Yeah. Um, when and especially when um, we're joining communities and getting um, Danielle um, buddies with her typical peers and talking to schools and things like that. Um, that part is good and like you i'm i'm a fitness person so i can tell that um <laughs> oh, you have the most so, sculpted uh, arms i think of anyone i've ever seen <laughs> that's funny because that's what i think when i see you <laughs> um, that's funny <laughs> that's how it always is right <laughs> uh, so for the um so for the meantime um I really like doing doing that, and we're you know the only thing that's gotten um, that that's really hard, and you know we mentioned this you know with couples as well as one of my other passions that the only thing I'm really not able to do um, is travel, right? Um, because we can't we don't want to leave Danielle with anyone for more than well I, well this is aside from COVID obviously, but aside from COVID we don't want to leave with. Danielle with anyone for um, more than two days. And so it limits what we can do as far as traveling. Yeah. But other than that, um, I, you know, I, I, I would like to um, keep going with um, this population and um, um, talking to others and connecting with others and giving our kids more of a voice and showing that they have a voice um, because I think they've been misinterpreted for so long and everything everything comes out as behavior or intentional mm -hmm. or um, and also because when they're not talking as much that it's assumed that um, they're not understanding. So there's so, there's so much there. There definitely is. And I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm ready to advocate to, the, to Congress and back <laughs> as many times as it takes to get something for these, for these young adults and future adults mm -hmm. uh, as far as- Then you can come to DC and we can do it together. I, I'm, I'm right next to DC. I'm all in. I'm trying to find help in all 50 states with parents. So if anyone listening in any state wants to reach out to me, I, I want to get a full understanding of every single state and what the offerings are for um, adult services and day programs and funding and waivers and what what is lacking in every state so we can come up with a massive plan and seriously take it to Congress and try to get something nationally passed for our young adults because it's ridiculous what little we get to support them for their livelihood. Um, it's terrible. Oh, I know. It makes me sick Absolutely. to my stomach. <laughs> so I know. Me too. Mm. Me too. And and good alternatives for for living situations yes. and and yeah. Yep. Well, in a more positive spin, I guess. Um what are some of the things that Danielle really likes doing or that make her happy and just smiley? Yeah, well, she loves art. Yes. So that's been great. Um, and she's good at it. Um, so art types of things. Um, and she likes 
doing things outside and nature um, loves that kind of thing. Um, and the, I mean, those are the main things and she loves seeing friends. And so that's, that's been, that's what makes me so happy is um, that early on we had that with her liking being with her peers. And then we had that really, really tough period of years where, where we couldn't, and now she's back to really enjoying it. Um, of course, COVID is not the time to, <laughs> that is the best to enjoy being around people, but um, close to people. But um, I, I love that she um, loves to be around her peers now. That's awesome. That's such a huge, huge milestone, you know? For you even. It'd yeah. be so great to be able to have play date at your house or something where they could paint or draw together or whatever. So that and yeah, she was so happy. And she was ha yes, and she was having that before COVID. Um she and she really enjoyed it. And so um yeah, we're anxious to pick it back up again. How much um have you talked to her about COVID? Does she understand the, you know the reasoning why we can't go places and you know, the safety around all of that. And yes, she actually does. And see, and there's another big difference because I, I could never even picture having a conversation like this with her when she was 12. Yeah. But now it's very, it's actually very natural that we do have these conversations. <laughs> That's awesome. She totally gets it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and she understands with the mask and she um, keeps it on for as long as she can, and she has typed. She has typed before. Sometimes I need to take it off. I'm really trying, um, uh -huh. but but she also does keep it in. And it's the same thing with doctor's appointments and things like that. Whereas to, um, you know, even um, like at ten and 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 twelve, when we couldn't really have a discussion with her about the um, doctor visits, but now we can say okay, we need to get your blood, your blood work done. We're, we're going to walk in and then um, they're going to do the shot and then we're going to walk out. And now she, she totally gets it. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I mean, not funny. I always say that word and I don't really mean it like, haha, funny, but we always are surprised. Skylar, I don't know that he, I've seen him cry more than maybe two, three times tops in his lifetime. Um, because he has really yeah, extremely high pain threshold. He even dislocated his knee at school one day and they called us to come and get him. And his kneecap was to the side of his knee and he wasn't crying. He just looked at us with this kind of uncertain face. Like, I don't know what's happening right now. Um, but so whenever we have to take him for his, you know, probably every two months, once a quarter, approximately, we have to have his labs checked for his ulcerative colitis medications and stuff. And, um, you know, we take him in his stroller and we kind of hold down his legs and his arms because he'll just try to get out of the chair and it's really hard. But the nurses are fantastic yeah. with him. But whenever they oh, take him, amazing. he just kind of opens his mouth real wide. Like, I can't believe you just did that. Like, he just looks at us like, that was mean. But he never cries or like yells out or anything. So I just... Like I've said a gazillion times, I just, I, I can't wait for the day that he's like, first of all, I want to tell you this. And then second of all, I hate those blood draws. And then just, he's probably got 17 years worth of intel that 
he's dying to share with us. I know. <laughs> you know? I know that's how, that's how it was with us when we got that kind of language. Um, yeah, I, I remember when we used to have to hold her too, and, but now, oh, now she, she just gets it. Feels um, so cruel holding them down, you know. <laughs> it's like I, I we had no, we had to do that too. It's it's, it's awful, especially with the intravenous and like, ugh. and um, even thinking about it, 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 it was awful. But yeah, I I I, did, I definitely, I mean, I'm sure that um, at some point you are going to be hearing from Skylar. Um, reading from Skylar what what his thoughts are on these things. Yeah, I can't wait. Believe me, you'll all know because I will be posting like <laughs> crazy videos and stuff like it's happened. It's happened. Oh well, well I mean he already was talking to you about um like the precedent, right? Yeah and yeah and he spelled um I think the lesson last week was um the history of uh, letters to Santa. Um, and so she was reading the passages and stuff. And then she told me, um, let's again, don't tell him, don't tell him the letters. Don't tell him what it starts with. Just go ahead and, um, you know, hold up the boards, the right board or whatever that he needs. And he spelled naughty, which made me laugh hysterically. He spelled naughty <laughs> without me telling him, you know, where's the N, where's the A, none of that. He just spelled it all. And he did it, he did it That's so amazing. like matter of factly, just, you know, flipping his finger up on the board, like, this is so easy. And that's kind of the facial expressions he gives me, which is really funny. I bet he's a really that's funny amazing. kid, you know, <laughs> I'm sure it's in oh, there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I love that. Yeah. Well, what, um, I guess in closing, Linda, um, you know, what is something that you would want parents with younger children, um, to know about raising a young adult, because we both have young adults at this point um, with autism, or even if you didn't want to give advice to, to other parents specifically, maybe what you would tell your younger self with a newly diagnosed Danielle, um, knowing that you know all that you know now. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny, I actually have ha an article on that, what I would tell my younger self. Um, um, one, one big thing is, um, that things, things will get better. Things will improve, um, even during the rough patches. Another, another thing is that, um, you'll be coming into contact with a lot of different consultants who have definite ideas and, um, or you'll be you'll be told that you have to do this treatment or or that treatment, and and I would say, take a step back and and see how how it feels to you. Mm -hmm. There is no one treatment that's going to work for everybody. So um, anyone who comes in and says you have to do this, it works for everybody. Um, I, I I would question because there isn't um, that one. And I know for me, I spent a lot of time agonizing over choosing the right uh, intervention and um, then um, getting rigid into those um, interventions when I was told I needed to be. So um, I, I would say look, um, look at those closely and do what you're comfortable with because your mom got knows. Um, 
and another thing for when I was younger um, would be to make to well actually I'm going to change this I'm going to say now with the spelling uh, is that I would anytime I hear a never or anytime they're not that I hear like that, that my child's not going to do this is um, to not to, to, to not listen to that because nobody knows because our kids are breaking those nevers all the time. They're coming through them and um, doing things that they've been told that they wouldn't. So I would have every reason to believe in Danielle back then. Um, so I would tell that to my younger self. Yeah, I love all of that. And, and I'm guilty of, of sometimes saying never or he won't do some of these things and and i know better than that and i shouldn't say that i think you know what's so important about the advice that you gave is that I mean, that's one of the reasons i started this podcast and um i'm i'm so open with our life because even though skylar's 17 i want parents to know that have younger children that there's never an like kind of like you said there's never an end of the road or you've tried everything and it's a lost cause there's always a reason to revisit things maybe to try things that we tried that didn't work for us but it might work for them you should never mm -hmm. ever ever resign yourself to the fact that they're where they're at they've met their ceiling um you know just do not give up and i i'm very open about toilet training that we're not there yet that the communication isn't there yet fully. Um, it's okay. You know, he's only 17. Right. He's gonna, we've got so much time left. If he doesn't spell or type or say his first word till he's 30 years old, it'll still mean the same to me at age 30 as it would have at age five. So, uh, you know. Exactly. Yes. And I was very much caught in that trap as well as, um, you know, the first three years and then it's the first five years and um, and, but, but I've learned too, that there isn't, there isn't a limit mm -hmm. and, you know, now we're seeing pe pe um, people in their twenties, um, making breakthroughs, people in their thirties making breakthroughs. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's an important one. Yeah. So don't panic if you, I mean, I get those messages and I see them all the time. Like, my gosh, my, my child is eight and they're still not interested in toilet training it's okay it's not the worst thing yeah. if they're in pull-ups till they're 18. i mean seriously i will deal with that the rest of my life if i have to i would much rather yeah. he be able to tell me that his belly hurts than for him to you know use the toilet independently i'll, I'll take you know yeah. one over the other <laughs> any day of the week so yeah i i agree with you 100 percent yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and tell everybody all about your beautiful daughter and all of the things that she's done in her 18 years of life <laughs> and how thank great so of a mother you are and, and your husband too, um, and how supportive you guys are, are of each other and Danielle. It's just so nice to see. And I'm just thrilled that we met and that, you know, I can call you a friend and I know I can lean on you at any point to ask you a million oh, 100%. questions. <laughs> so, hundred percent, yes, and, and it goes both ways. We're always I really learning. Appreciate you. <laughs> yes, oh goodness! Well, um, this won't air until after the holidays, but I'm going to wish you happy holidays because we're recording before Christmas. So, um, I hope everything goes great and you guys stay health, healthy and safe. 
And um, same to you. Yeah, and I'll be talking to you soon. I know. Definitely. It sounds good. Right. Have, have wonderful holidays. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. -bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.